dear chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Hey all, we are back again. This time we have Christy Warren of Firefighter Deconstructed with us today. Hey, Christy. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped. Welcome. Are you? Yes. <laughs> thank you. We like having women on. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, very many women, and I think we've only had one other firefighter that was a female, right? Yep. So far, mm-hmm. um, so we're super pumped about it. Like, I, I, I think like you're the bravest people on the planet because I could never do it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. we just talk about it. Awesome. We don't do it. <laughs> yeah, we just talk about it. Um, <laughs> I love it. You just live with the people that do it. Yeah. Um, that's enough. That's plenty. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Like, not even trying to discount like any of that. Like seriously. Female oh, that's plenty. That's how oh, thank you. Um, anyway, so we're here today with Christy. She is a retired fire captain from the Berkeley Fire Department in California. She has 25 years of service as a professional paramedic with 17 years as a professional firefighter. She was diagnosed with PTSD in 2014 and spent several years recovering. Since retiring from the fire service, she has completed triathlon, the escape from Alcatraz swim, and a bachelor's degree in business from Washington State University. She is a volunteer at the West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat and works as a substitute teacher at Juvenile Hall in Martinez. She lives in Pleasant Hill, California with her wife, Lisa, and her dog, Harriet. That's pretty much sums it up. And it's so cool. We finally have a, a NorCal person on. We have, it seems like we've been really in the Southern California region or randomly in other states. So having a NorCal um, firefighter on is awesome. So yay, welcome. Yay, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I'm gonna <laughs> just, we're just gonna get into it. Um, first all right, of all, sounds good. Tell us your, so you're only the second firefighter we've had on that is female. So okay. we always like hearing the perspective of a female um, in a predominantly male industry. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think a lot of females have really different experiences. My experience was, um, of really like, I'm going to put my head down and work really hard and show these guys that I can do the job instead of just telling them I can do the job. You know, when I started way back as a paramedic, you know, at first I was like, man, these guys are pigs and they're being jerks and blah, blah, blah. And then I really sat back and I watched them and it's like, that's how they talk to each other. You know, they, men talk to each other kind of really different than women talk to each other. And then I realized they were just treating me like one of the guys they weren't, they weren't, I don't know, being a jerk or belittling me or anything like that. So that kind of opened my eyes. Um, so like I said, I just, I work really hard. I'm really aggressive. I don't take any shit from anybody. I swear a lot. 
And I never had an issue like ever in my career with being treated like crap by a guy. I, uh, you know, I had guys tell me that they didn't think women belong in the fire service. Um, but I just said, well, I'm sorry you feel like that. And like I said, I just kind of kept my mouth shut and, and did my job and, and, you know, eventually proved myself that I could do the job. And, you know, you know, a lot of people get really upset, you know, when guys are a little bit, um, weary of having women, you know, on their crew or whatever. And, you know, I think we need to give them a bigger break about that. It's, you know, not necessarily that they're being, you know, discriminatory or anything like that, but, you know, you get a, a six foot tall guy, you, you know, weighs 250 pounds and you know, here comes Christy who's five, six and weighs 150 pounds. And it's like, is she going to be able to pull me out of something? Is she going to be able to, you know, like do her part of the work or am I going to have to do all the work? You know, am I going to have to do the heavy load? And, and so I, I think it's an honest, you know, question that they have in their minds. And, um, so yeah, I think people need to give guys a little bit of a break, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I also hear a lot of stories of women just being treated like absolute shit for absolutely no reason, yeah. you know, departments. Um, and it's still happening now in various departments. I've talked to a few female firefighters that um, are just going through hell, their department, you know, in a department that you would think that there would be no problem at all. But, um, but unfortunately, you know, it, it happens. Um, I just was really fortunate to, to not kind of be harassed at all. I, I it's funny in the beginning, I had more problem with the wives than the dudes. Really? You know, the, the wives are upset. Like, Oh, you're, you know, you're gonna be sleeping, you know, in the same station with these guys and you're going to be, you know, doing all this stuff. And, you know, they, they were more wary of their guys like cheating on them or whatever with another female firefighter than they were of uh then the guys were working alongside me so that was the biggest kind of trouble that i i mean it wasn't really trouble but i had to deal with. you know i just kind of had to yeah deal with it and just kind of wait it out and then mm -hmm. these guys would realize that i wasn't a threat you know to their marriage or anything so you started out as a firefighter right at berkeley i started out as a paramedic as a medic okay. on, on an ambulance on yeah. an ambulance oh yeah that's right i forgot does berkeley still run ambulances they're on ambulance? oh yeah yeah they run ambulances yeah. Um, so paramedic, and then did you move to, is it the same fire engineer captain or how does it work with Berkeley? Yeah, I was, a yeah, started off as a firefighter paramedic and then I promoted to driver, which, uh, which most departments call engineer. We call them apparatus operators. So I drove up, yeah, I promoted to driver and I drove for seven years and then, um, and then I promoted to captain. What was it like being the captain? Did you, were you the only female on your crew? Um, on my crew, yes. My department, no. Okay. Um, I was fortunate to have some pretty strong women come through before me. And I think they really kind of set the, the, yeah, they paved the bar way. or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, people realizing that women can do this job. And so I think that really helped. Um, by the time I became captain, I think people had a lot of respect for me and my ability to do the job. You know, I, so many guys who, that I worked with would, you know, tell me like, I'd go into any fire with you. And I, you know, I'd, you know, trust you or depend on you like anybody else. And, you know, and then the guys who would tell me that they didn't think women belong in the fire service, they'd also tell me that I changed their view of that. <clears throat> so by the time I came captain, I think I had a lot of respect 
already earned. And so I didn't, I didn't have any trouble at all as a captain and people, you know, listening to me or respecting me or anything like that. Okay. That's um, good to hear because I think Chelsea and I hear mostly, like you said, I think the opposite of that. So yeah, it's nice. It's nice to hear that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think a big component of it is, is not saying like, you know, I mean, you need to treat everybody ki- with kindness and respect, but you know, just wait and see what I can do. And don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you need to respect me or treat me the same or, or whatever, respect my ability to do the job. I should say, you know, just because I'm telling you to, or just because I'm a woman, because there's, I mean, I face it. There's a lot of women who can't do the job and, you know, it's almost like affirmative action, like hurts us like that because they'll hire women who just really can't do the job and shouldn't be there. And then that makes it harder for the rest of us who can do the job. Cause then we have to work, you know, 10 times it's hard to get the same amount of respect. Yep. Yep. And so, um, but then, like I said, there's, there's some badass women out there that are treated like shit, you know, regardless of how much they, how hard they work or, or whatever, they, they still get treated like shit. So, um, so yeah. Do you think that it's kind of the same way for the guys though? Like they come on super young and there's, you know, the, the old salty firefighters that think they're just kids and they can't, they're not going to be able to hack it. Like, and then they have to prove themselves as well. Do you think it's, do you think it's a double-edged sword a little bit? I, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Those guys do have to prove themselves. And, you know, every generation says about the next generation, like, uh, you know, there's something wrong with them because they're not like us. So absolutely, they have to prove themselves. But the difference is, is I think with women, people expect us to fail. And with the guys, they expect them to do well. And so like if a woman, so this is kind of how I say it is. So if a woman goes down in a fire, or I should let me go back up. If a, if a guy goes down in a fire, everyone will say like, wow, he's a hero. He gave us all, you know, what an incredible firefighter. And if a woman goes down in a firefighter, they say, well, she probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. Like they will immediately attribute it to her being a woman instead of if a guy goes down in the fire or they will never attribute it you know what I mean? To him being a guy or whatever. And so, you know, that's kind of the difference between, you know, women and men and the men has a bad, if a man has a bad, you know, day and has hard time with something, you know, it's not going to be because of his gender, but if a, if a woman has one crappy day, then, you know, they're going to immediately attribute it, you know, to her gender. Yep. You're a bitch immediately. And mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that one. Um, so tell us a little bit, if you want to talk about your diagnosis with PTSD and what, what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, yeah, I did had my 25 years and I, I was cruising along. And, you know, one thing I did, especially cause I was a woman, was, you know, I was determined to prove myself and, you know, never ask for help and work twice as hard as everybody. And the first person in the last person out. And, um, and then some things started happening to me. I, you know, the tones would go off and it didn't matter what it was for. It could be for a leaking hydrant or just something ridiculously silly. And my anxiety would go through the roof. You know, I'd have the same like physiological response 
that I'd have if they said, you know, turned over bus with gas leak, you know what I mean? Just something horrible. And, um, so that started happening. And then, um, and then I started having like nightmares. I'd wake up screaming and then, and then I'd have like this videotape of really bad calls that I'd been on, you know, my 25 year career, um, you know, stuff that was from 20 years ago that I just never even thought about. And they'd like play in a loop in my head over and over and over. It was like being trapped in a movie theater. You know, the, they turn the volume all the way up and the brightness all the way up and you can't cover your eyes and you can't close your eyes and you can't cover your ears and, and just being bombarded like that. I mean, for days on out. Um, so that started happening. I pretty much stopped sleeping. Um, the guys that I was working with started transferring out of my station and I was like, you know, what the hell's going on? Like, cause I take care of my crew. I, you know, I put myself last, I put them, them first and I was like, what the hell's going on? And I talked to a friend of mine who worked there, who seemed to know all the gossip in the department. And I do, I'm like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, well, kind of a gigantic asshole. And these guys are tired of getting yelled at. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I take care of my guys. And he's like, yeah, you do. But they're tired of getting yelled at all the time. And your temper is just ridiculous. So I started thinking like, fuck, there is something wrong with me. And, um, and it all kind of started after I had a fatality fire where I was pretty sure I was the one that messed up, even though I, it, you know what I mean? I didn't mess up. Uh, and, you know, the guy is already dead and there had already been, you know, two engine crews and a truck crew that had looked for this guy and never found him. So anyways, but I, for some reason, started beating myself up over that. And that's kind of when all these symptoms started. And that fire was in uh, September. And so I just kept going till May and everything was getting worse and worse. And so I finally decided like, all right, I need to fix this. And I think it was when guys started leaving my station is when I said, okay, I got to do something. So I went and I saw a therapist and and she's like, you have PTSD. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. Like, that's not going to happen to me. And she's like, yeah, you do. And it took me, you know, a while to accept it. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, but let's just fix this. So I can go back to work and get on with my life. And um, so I tried working, continuing to work and, you know, going to the therapist to fix my problem. And, um, and she just kept telling me, you need to take time off work. You need to take time off work. And so in August, finally, I had an opportunity to do some shift trades because I already had some vacation coming up and like if I just do a few more shift trades, I can be out of here for a month. So I took a month off and felt a lot better. I mean, I still had some symptoms, but you know, I was feeling better. And then my vacation time was over and I went back to work and everything just came, you know, back, like, you know, being hit with bricks. And so as, as I went back to work, my symptoms continued to get worse. And then on my way home, from work, when I get off in the morning, you know, we work 4896s. I get off in the morning and I start crying on the way home from work. I'd cry all the way home. And I am not a crier. I don't cry unless I'm really, really angry. Then I'd cry, but not a crier. And I'd cry all the way home. And um, I'm just like, you know, what the fuck is this? And, um, you know, I was deathly afraid of anybody at work finding out. I couldn't. I mean, that would, that'd be the end of me, you know, before that, if you asked me what's the very worst thing that could ever happen to you, it would be to like, feel like a big wussy and I couldn't do my job. That would be the absolutely worst thing. And it was happening to me and it got so bad that, um, you know, I started contemplating suicide. Cause I'm like, I can't, 
like there's no other way out of this i can't seem to fix it i can't tell anybody about it so i I don't you know i I don't know what to do i can't let anybody find out that this is happening and uh and one day i was coming home from work and i was like okay i'm not gonna cry i'm not gonna cry and i made it i made it all the way home and i didn't cry and i sent my wife a text and i said like i did it i didn't cry on the way home i'm gonna be good and then I was going to go play tennis with a friend and I changed my clothes and got in the car and started driving across town. And, and that's kind of when everything came crashing down on me, like really, really hard. And I just started bawling and I was looking for a tree to drive into. And then, you know, then I started thinking about, you know, if I do this and, you know, other responders are going to have to come out on me and deal with it, you know, another firefighter. And it's like, I don't want to like put this on them. And, uh, and then I was like, even if I just run into something and I'm in the hospital for a week, like in a coma or whatever, I can, I can, I can not go to work and not have to tell anybody. And I can have like a month off and clear my, you know, without feeling all this crap. And then I was like, okay, just, you know, make it to the tennis courts, make it to the tennis courts. And I got there and, uh, you know, I sent my wife a text and I said, no matter, I go, no matter how much I beg and plead and no matter how much after this 40, I say, I'm fine. I go, you can't let me go back to work. Cause I, I know it would happen. So anyway, so I, 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 uh, turned in the paperwork, you know, workers comp paperwork and, um, and I, I took time off and I, you know, I swore I'd be back and everything would be fine. And I was like, I just need to go deal with this and fix this and I'll be back. And, you know, I started getting phone calls and texts from people because they just all of a sudden on telestaff saw that I was off, you know, on sick leave, like indefinitely. And everybody's like, you know, what the hell happened to Christy? And because I just left work that morning and it was like, hey, everybody have a good four day. I see you back, you know, we get back and blah, blah, blah. You know, the usual shift change thing. And, and, um, so yeah, people call and text and I just text people back and say, I can't even talk right now. And, and it wasn't like, I didn't trust people. It was like, I don't even know what's happening to me. I don't even know what to tell you. And I was so afraid of th- finding out. And, um, cause I felt like I'd be such a, such a phony and such a fraud. And I, cause I've worked so hard on proving that I could do the job and that I was really tough, ta- strong and tough. And, and so I'm like, if these people find out that I'm freaking crying, and, Oh, that's the other thing too, is I started crying at work, like after calls, you know, like, we had a guy, he got hit by a car and he broke his arm. It was not that big a deal. You know, he took care of the call. Everything went well. And I started bawling afterwards and it was, a, I just could not let anybody find out. So anyways, it was a pretty long process of, you know, seeing a therapist. And I finally went to a retreat called the West coast post-trauma retreat where, um, you know, I sat there the first day and I'm like, I'm surrounded by 20 people here who've gone through PTSD or they're going through it right now. And it's really what changed the whole thing for me was I felt like I was not the only person, um, you know, before I was like, we have 124 uniformed firefighters. Why am I the only one who can't seem to handle my fucking job? I was like, everybody else goes on the same calls that I do and they seem to be doing just fine. And then after, you know, that retreat, I realized too, that it's like, all these guys aren't doing fine. Cause you know, I was like, why can't I be more like this guy and this guy and this other guy and who are so tough and have been here for so long. And I was like, Oh, he's an alcoholic. She's an alcoholic. He like all these people that I like wanted to be like, where they're just so rough and tough and hung in there forever. It's like, they all are drink themselves silly. 
And that's how they coped. And so it's like, I wasn't the only one. And, you know, I ended up going back to my department and telling all three shifts, my story and my phone started ringing. Like, you know what? I feel like that too sometimes. And I quickly found out that I wasn't even close to the only person at my department, you know, who's going through that. So I, you know, I did the retreat and more therapy and I did EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, like reprogramming or something like that. It basically rewires your brain, it takes the charge out of, you know, some of those shitty calls that I went on. And, um, and it was, it was a really long process and it's that ha- all happened in 2014 and on to that retreat in 2015. And, you know, I could finally say that I'm doing really well and, you know, I still get anxiety and I still get triggered. And, you know, every time I see an Alhambra water truck, it's like, Oh, you know, like go right back to that call, but it doesn't haunt me anymore. You know, I can wake up screaming in the middle of the night and just be like, Oh, what's, you know, and I get up in the morning and it doesn't ruin my day anymore. And, you know, the frequency is very, very um, less, you know, it happens every once in a while, not like several times a week. You know, then the other struggle that I really faced with and dealt with was workers comp. They, I'm sure everybody knows they can just be so shitty and they made life so difficult for me. And, you know, it's like, we don't ask for help. And, you know, here we are, like, here I was finally asking for help. And they're basically like, yeah, no, this is your fault. You're, you know, you can't handle the job and let's find every reason why this is causing this problem. And, um, you know, they wanted to blame it on my childhood and my family. And I'm like, you know, I don't have nightmares about my family. I, I have nightmares about babies drowning and not being able to save them and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I had to hire a lawyer as pretty much everybody does for everything. And, um, I'm sure some of you have heard of Linda Brown. And, uh, I remember talking with her and, she goes, you feel like you've let down every female firefighter out there, don't you? And I said, I absolutely do. I absolutely felt like I was letting everybody down by being like, here we go. Here's another woman who, you know, can't handle her job. And, um, you know, the more I learned, it was actually that I handled my job really well. And I, I was able to deal with this, the most chaotic, crazy calls because I was so good at stuffing it down and compartmentalizing it. And, um, and so that's kind of almost like why I got it is because I was really good at my job, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing really well now. And, you know, it cost me some friendships at the department, uh, not because they thought I was a wuss, but because I, you know, couldn't reach out to them at the time. And, you know, they're like, you know, we had your back and, you know, and I'm like, man, I didn't even, like I said, I, I didn't even know what was going on with me. I couldn't talk to anybody. And I was so full of shame that I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't do it. And so, um, but yeah, it's, it's had a great effect on my department. Uh, one other guy very shortly after I went off, you know, called me and said he has PTSD and, you know, he carries a bullet around with him thinking it's going to be his, you know, that's how he's going to finally, you know, end it when he can't take it. Shit. Yeah. And, um, and so I, you know, he went through the retreat also, and we both went back to the department and, you know, told him our stories. And, um, you know, when uh, this guy left and I left, our department was like, wow, we need, I should say our union, not our department, but our union said, we need to do something about this. And, you know, they started a peer uh, counseling team and they're doing an incredible job. And um, so, yeah, so, you know, so some good has come out of it. And um, so, yeah. 
So after these calls, um, was there uh, any formal debriefing ever done? No. Okay. I, I had a couple, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. So I, I had one, we had a house fire when I, I was a paramedic in Vallejo, which is a pretty rough and tough, violent yeah. city. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a house fire very close to our station where there were four kids that were involved. It was there on the second story of a house that fire started and it flashed while they're still in there. Um, I was a first medic on scene because we were right across the street, basically. And I was basically like one after another, like handed these four, like barely breathing, severely burned babies and kids. And I was the only medic on scene. That's before, you know, the fire department had medics and um, we had, we're a single medic ambulance. Anyway, so the call was a big deal in the community and, you know, they flew these kids out. It was just, it was a really, really big deal. And so we had a huge debriefing on everybody, fire department, emergency rooms, um, the, the helicopter nurses and everybody. And, you know, we, we go around in a circle and, and people are crying and, you know, having a tough time. And I'm sitting there like, like, yeah, you know, whatever. And I almost felt like an asshole because I wasn't crying. I wasn't choked up. I didn't have a hard time talking. I was just like, and I wasn't trying to be like that. I wasn't, I almost like was trying to like shed a tear or something. So I didn't look like such an asshole, but, but yeah, I just, you know, shoved that shit down so far. It just didn't, I didn't, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't bother me. People have asked me like, is there anything you could have done to prevent all this? And I'm like, I have, I have no idea. I really don't know. Do you think if, you had had peer counseling at the time. Do you think you would have been able to maybe absorb it differently or, you know, that's a really good question because I, I think I was so hell bent on not letting anybody find out. And so hell bent on keeping my reputation as being strong and able to do the job that, um, I don't think I would have. And, but I think the difference would have been is if there was a peer counseling team and if it had been talked about, I would have realized that I wasn't the only one, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, if nobody talks about it ever, that means it almost like it doesn't exist. And so that means that there's something wrong with me. So it, it probably would have made me go get help sooner, you know, outside the department. I don't know if I would have been brave enough to talk to somebody, you know, in the department just because, you know, I think it's because of the whole woman thing, but, um, but there wasn't, there wasn't any formal debriefing, but did you guys ever just sit around the firehouse table and talk about what you just, the calls that you just went on? You know, we did, but it was really, um, wasn't about your feelings about it. I'm guessing right? it wasn't about your feelings at all. It was <laughs> usually about some asshole cop that got in the way or, you know, the fucking medics did this or the fucking engine five did this or, you know what I mean? That's, that's usually what it was, was, you know, was that was, was that kind of stuff. And, you know, every once in a while, when you get a, a pretty shitty call, um, I remember we responded to, I can't remember. It was, we were sent there for something like pretty minor, you know, the dispatch of something pretty minor and it was a fraternity and, you know, these fucking fraternities in Berkeley were just a nightmare in terms of, they just kept us very busy and, and for very preventable stuff. So we went, we went to this guy's room and this 
a guy was like sitting there slumped over and he'd been shot in the head. And we are all just, it was like, what the fuck? And so we were all like, just kind of really confused and not ready at all to walk into that. And um, so I remember all this kind of walking out of like, kind of like, wow, that was fucked up. And, but then you just kind of go on with your, you know, your day. It's like, we really didn't. Yeah. You never talk about your feelings. You never, never that. Do you think that if that was something that you were doing on an ongoing basis, talking about your feelings on the call, do you think that that could have helped you be more open to talking to someone about the way you were feeling going? Through? Absolutely. Absolutely. If that was something we did, you know, I, I'm 52 and um, I, I did, I didn't come from that salty old generation, but I did, I was, I was trained by them. And, um, and that was, you know, suck it up buttercup. And, and it wasn't, they weren't trying to be jerks. They weren't, you know, it was none of that. It was just how they dealt with things. And there was, you know, I don't blame them back then. There was nowhere to go when there weren't therapists and there weren't, nobody talked about it and you couldn't. Um, in fact, when I went to that debriefing with all those kids, you know, one of the fire captains who'd been there forever, the salty guy, he, He's like, we don't talk about this stuff. And he goes, I can't talk about it. He goes, if I, if I open that box, he goes, you know, I won't be able to exist anymore. He was like, I, I can't open that box right now. So, yeah, I, I really think that if, you know, if that was something that was done over time, you know, and the awareness, you know, like this next generation come in and, you know, should have a pretty good awareness because people are talking about it more. And so they might be much more apt to getting help sooner, you know, rather than later and waiting until it was so, uh, you know, devastating. So I want to not really switch gears. It's kind of on the same topic, but, um, you wrote a blog post about first responder suicide and it was really good. Um, it's freaking to me. Um, and, I just want to read the first line and then I want us to kind of talk about it because I think that this is something that is misconstrued um, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you do a very good job of um, explaining why it's not what people think. So the first sentence of this blog post is someone once said suicide is the final fuck you. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about why that's not true. It's not, it's not even close to being true. Um, you know, I hear, I've heard so many people say, you know, suicide is selfish. You know, it's like you say, it's the final fuck you. It's about, you know, getting back at somebody who hurt them. And, um, you know, especially PTSD suicide, I'll have to say, or first responder, it's completely about, just turning off the pain and turning off your head and turning off the shit in your head. And we truly, you know, PTSD really screws with you too. It, 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 um, it's, you know, tells you you're a worthless piece of shit. And, you know, it, like I was, I don't know if I said this before, but it's, <clears throat> it's truly an injury. Like your brain chemistry changes, the shape of your brain changes. If they, they do a brain scan on somebody who's n- normal and somebody who has PTSD, they will look extremely different. So it's an actual like physical injury. It's like, it's very likened to being hit in the head of the baseball bat. So your chemistry changes, 
yeah, you start thinking different things. You, you know, the whole depression and anxiety, that's all like completely physical. So like we have no control over that. And so, you know, the suicide comes in. I, I don't think any of us that do come close or feel like that, or actually do go through with it, want to die. I really don't think any of us want to die. We just want the pain to stop. And we also believe that our families will be better off without us. You know, and that was something else I was going to talk about, especially since this is, you know, firefighter wives is, you know, what the wives or the husbands or spouses and kids go through and you guys go through hell with the, you know, a spouse with PTSD. It's not just the first responder. It's, it's you guys. It's like, we isolate, we're angry, we're quick to, you know, to blow, um, and so we, we start to see what we're doing to our families and we're like, we really, really believe that we are better off or I'm sorry that the families, you know, they, I mean, fathers will believe that their children are better off without them. And, um, it, it's all about ending the pain. You know, the, I started drinking a lot when, uh, when I was going through all this because it looks like at work, it shuts stuff down. I was at a, a friend's, um, new year's Eve party one night and, uh, they're very, they're like really close friends. I'm very safe with them. And I was like, I'm going to get obliterated. And I did, I was absolutely obliterated. You know, I woke up the next morning, like in on the, some air mattress, uh, still in my clothes, I was half on the floor. You know, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck, you know, soaking wet from spilling water all over myself. And I'd never been, I hadn't been that happy in months because for six hours, my brain was shut off. I didn't think about any of these fucking calls. I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't have any nightmares. I mean, where you wake up just, I mean, screaming and fighting. It's like, it was like six, six hours of peace. And so I think, you know, when people are wanting to commit suicide, you know, or kill themselves, it's, that's 100% what it's about. It's about shutting that shit off because you just can't take it anymore. And like I said, you see what you're doing to your families and your, your spouses and, um, you just, yeah, you just want it to stop. I have had a therapist friend once say that suicide is the last option. Like they just, people can't, they don't know that they have another one. It's the only uh, that's, one, right. It's ab- absolutely right. And it's like, you, and I found too, that it's like, you know, when I was going through all that stuff, my brain would go there so fast you know, my wife would get mad at me for leaving my shoes on the floor or whatever. And it would boom. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, look what I'm doing. I'm screwing up. I shouldn't be here. I'm causing problems. And your brain goes right to that. I shouldn't be here on this earth anymore. Cause look, I'm causing her, you know, to have to ask me to pick my shoes up. I mean, stuff that, I mean, really that small, just your, and it's your brain that goes there. And, and I've really learned that since I've gotten better because my brain, you know, I'm on medication you know, I've done so much therapy and I'm doing so well and I'm um, taking good care of myself. And, and so my brain like doesn't go there anymore. It never, it just never crosses my mind. And then I started, um, I, I stopped taking care of myself. I started working and I got a, a job, part-time job and I started, you know, I can't say no. And they're really short staff. So I kept working and I kept working and I was really, really tired. And, um, and I noticed one day that my brain went back to that and it, like, it wasn't me. It wasn't in my heart. It wasn't, it was just like my, 
my brain just something was thrown out in the middle of my brain of like, uh, you should just, you don't belong here anymore. And I was like, Whoa, like, where did that come from? And, um, yeah, I had no intent. It's like, I didn't feel it. I had no intentions or even kind of anywhere close. Cause I am so happy now that it just really showed me, taught me that it's so much just your brain is going in that direction. And you're right. It's, it's like the last, it's the last straw. You just can't, you know, and then I, I have a friend who's a psychiatrist and she says it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And it's like, if people can just realize that and hang in there that, you know, they will, they will get through it. And I think it's so important that we reiterate on this podcast in particularly that your family needs you. I need my husband to walk through the door at the end of his shift every single time. So, you know, if you are feeling that way as a first responder, the first thing you should do is talk to your spouse or your partner or your best friend right. well, that you think don't need you so that they can tell you, I need you. Yeah. Right. You know, and part of, uh, part of all of that is, you know, I, I hear so many guys say, I don't want to bring work home with me. And that, and that's why they don't talk to you. And they, so they think, and I, I mean, I've, I'm like I said, I'm a peer volunteer up at WCPR. So, you know, I've seen hundreds of guys come through and gals come through and talk about this. And they all say the same thing is that they're like, we don't want to bring our work home with us. And, and they don't talk to you guys because they think they're protecting you. Right. Right. And they need, they need to learn. That's one thing we talk a lot about the retreat is like, you don't have to, you don't have to tell them the gory details. You, you know what I mean? They don't need to hear that. I mean, maybe they want to, but they don't need to hear that. What they need to hear is how you're doing. Yeah. You know, when you come home through the, you know, the door or the front door in the morning, you know, and you had a really bad night or a really bad call, you know, you going off, you know, into the den or some side room or whatever and playing video games or ignoring your family is not protecting your family. You know, you're, you're you know, if you, yeah, you just, you aren't protecting them at all. You know, and if you can't even talk about it right then, it's like even saying, you know what, I had a really bad night and I had a really bad call. And when I'm ready, you know, I'd like to talk about it. And and that's all it takes, you know, your spouses, you, know, you poor guys out there have to like guess what's going on half the time. And, and, uh, and you, yeah, you, yeah, you guys need to talk to your family and, and tell them, like say not the gory details, but but tell them you know kind of what you're feeling and um and yeah like just like to really get the word out there for you all you spouses out there that they're not being dicks and they're not trying to push you away they they think they're protecting you yeah we've talked about that multiple times on Good. our past shows just the openness of conversation flowing at home and the separation of work and home is such a fine line, um, but it's, it's, it's impossible to keep this work. Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. You know, go ahead. Sorry. The most profound thing I've ever heard on this podcast was just a few episodes ago in season two. We say we don't, we're going to leave work at work, but you never hear someone say, I'm going to leave home at home. Because you cannot live a dual life. 
Right. You bring work home with you. You take home with to work with you because you're one singular human person. You can't separate those things. I don't care what profession it is. Honestly, you're absolutely right. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. And um, that's funny. I've never heard anybody say don't bring or you can't bring. I, I've heard many guys at work say you don't you can't bring your house stuff or your home stuff to work with your you. house stuff at the door. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. Um, but you don't so yeah, it's, say that like you don't no. say somebody I'm not going to take home to work with me or right. we somehow think that we need to leave work at work. Like it's just it's just the most bizarre shit ever. It just doesn't add up. I can't, I mean, I can't imagine. And maybe there is still a department out there that, you know, um, doesn't allow families to come and visit and stuff. I mean, that would be basically just saying your family's not welcome here. If you can't talk about it and you can't have them come and socialize. And I mean, I feel like you never really would truly know who you're working with if you don't see that side of them, especially in this line of work, because you spend so much time together. I mean, you have to know what's going on with them at home to understand why they're being a dick at work, maybe, or they had a crappy night, you know, their baby was up all night, so they didn't sleep well, you know, like you can't yeah, absolutely. It. It's, it's not possible. It shouldn't. That's be. a really good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, I'd talk to my wife like the night before I'd come home and I'd always say, you know, like, what are you doing tomorrow? And and she would always say, and I never got it. She'd always say, well, it depends on what walks through the front door in the morning. And I always thought she meant it depends on how tired you are. And then after I went off, I was like, oh, I get it now. I, I 100% thought it was like, okay, well, if you're, cause I'm somebody, you know, I'd come home just, I work at a really busy station and I'd come home just dead tired, but I was like, I am going to make this happen and I'm going to stay awake today and we're going to have a good day. And, you know, even though it's crappy, crack, cr- or bleh, sorry, cranky and bitchy all day long, but it wasn't about that. It was, it was totally about like, what kind of, what kind of mood am I going to come home? And I'm like, am I, I going to be quiet and isolating? Am I going to be, you know, angry? Am I going to be sad? Am I going to be, and it's, yeah, it's just totally, yeah, I never figured that out, but it is, it's so much, you know, you poor families have to sit there and wait to see what's going to come home. And um, yeah, that's, that's gotta be hard. Yep. It's, uh, it's challenging, but I mean, I think probably Chelsea and I are probably just like your wife. We know now, you know, we, we, we stop and tell the kids, Hey, dad had a crappy night or Hey, you know, dad didn't get any sleep or, you know, let's give dad some space for a little bit. And we, we are pretty good at, you know, checking in and, and making sure they're getting what they need. We still getting what you know we need. And it's just important to have those conversations, I think, because otherwise, absolutely. Just goes to show. And the other thing is, is sometimes they don't want the space, right? Like I learned the hard way with that. I sent my kids, you know, my husband was on a fire for several, for a week and a half. And I thought when he came home, he'd want a quiet house and he'd want, you know, um, to just be, and it was exactly the opposite. He wanted to yeah. see his kids. He wanted to see his wife. He, you know, just wanted to get back to normal life. Yep. And I yep. robbed him of that by sending my children away. So I think it's really important that, and we've said it before, and I'll say it again, because it's important to hear. It's important that we have a conversation about how they need and want to be supported. Mm-hmm. And it's not a one-time conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's on, it's an ongoing conversation. It's every time they walk through the door, how can mm-hmm. I 
you know, how can I be here for you today? Yep. What do you need? Yep. Um, so, yeah, but that, that just comes, I think that I just learned from the school of hard knocks on that. Like, but nobody told me that. Like, <laughs> exactly. There was no, no manual. Nobody, no, nobody. Yeah. Nobody tells the firefighters. Yeah. Right. No. Nobody tells the firefighters either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you guys it, don't it, get any, no, we don't get anything. How to deal like with that. your family when you mm-hmm. come home from work. No, no <sighs> absolutely. You know, and, and one more point I want to bring up about all this, especially with, you know, firefighter wives and spouses that, that, um, you know, sometimes, so when we do have a hard time or we really start struggling that, you know, I remember, you know, somebody said it really good. Like, so she went to the, she went to the retreat and she got a lot better. And her husband was like, why was, why couldn't I fix you? Why did you have, you know, you go off and with all these other people and all of a sudden you're better. And like, why, why wasn't I enough for you? And, um, and so they really struggled with that. And, um, and it's kind of like, like you, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer, but it's like, you can't, you'll never, you'll never be able to understand like what your spouses are, have really gone through. And you know what I mean? Until you've done it, nobody understands until you've done it. And it really takes being with like, like people who've gone, you know, it's kind of like AA. It's like, you, you have to, you have to be with people who have gone through it before and to make you like kind of really believe them. And, you know, I had people around me telling me like, Oh, you're, you know, you're, you're an amazing person and you blah, blah, you're good. And you're all this. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, especially like about that fire that I had. And it was like, well, you're going to say that. And you, and you don't, you know what I mean? You don't know what we do. You don't, you don't know you, I could blow a bunch of smoke up your ass and you would have no idea if I actually made a mistake or not. I need somebody who's done this job before to tell me that I'm okay and that I didn't make a mistake, or even if I did make a mistake, that it's okay. If, if that makes sense for, you know what I mean? So that, that's just something that, um, I don't know if that's come up at all, but it's, it's, it's like, you have to share, or it's like sharing your spouse almost, you know what I mean? With somebody else, you know, in terms of that, like that intimate level. And, um, you know, you, you still are the, obviously the, the most important thing to them but that you was like, we really need people who have gone through what we've gone through to like, help us get over the hump. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, think, I tell my husband that all the time. I'm like, uh, this is beyond the scope. I'm not a professional. So like, you can talk to me about it. Uh, and you know, I'll listen, but if you need actual help, that's beyond my level of expertise. I mean, I say that to my awesome. kids all the yeah. time, right. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, how to be or what to feel and all those things. I didn't go to school for that. I don't understand that. I'm not a peer. I don't work in the firehouse. I only hear what you tell me. And, you know, I can only do so much. And you have to know as a person, as a human, okay, I can listen and support you, but if there's something more you need, it's okay for you to go find it go talk to a professional, go talk to a peer, go, you know, go out with your um, crew after work and, you know, talk about it and stuff, but you can't pretend to know everything and you can't pretend to be able to fix your spouse in any case. And especially Mm -hmm. with this, it's the level of crap you guys see and do is beyond anything, you know, other than an ER doctor. I mean, 
you can't expect to know those kinds of things if you weren't trained for it. And if you're not a professional in it, you just can only, you know, you can only do so much. So it's just, I also think that that goes, goes both ways too. Like they don't, they don't know what it's like to be us either at home. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So there's only so much that they can do to help us. Yes. Our stuff that we're going through. Yeah. And I think sometimes as firewives, it's really easy to be like, but you don't understand, like, you don't get it. You're never going to get it. And they, they aren't, they're never going to get it. That's you just, can't. The yeah. Yeah. So that's, is- where, that's where peer support for, for fire spouses mm-hmm. comes into play as well. Um, you know, absolutely. I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. It's true though. I mean, I think Alex from emergency um, resilience said that she's said that more than once that like, when the, you know, the wives are, or the spouses are at home saying they need to go to therapy. They need to go to therapy. And Alex always turns, you know, turns the tables and goes, do you go to therapy? Are you getting help? Cause you can't keep saying this person needs to go. This person needs to go. If you're not doing it yourself, if you're not helping yourself, you can't help somebody else. Or you can't tell them what to do. It's not your job. It's, it's just not, it's just not your job. Yeah. You are yeah, absolutely right. And uh, actually that retreat that I go to, they have a, um, a spouse retreat too. It's uh, called SOS. It's for, you know, spouses and significant others. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, that's a very compacted program, too. You know, like the waiting list is is real and some pretty incredible things happen up there. And so, yeah, absolutely. The spouses. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys do this podcast because, you know, the spouses have it. I don't want to say just as hard as we do, but you know what I mean? It's very intense for them and very, you know. It's a different kind of hard. Yeah. It's a different kind of hard. And you know, there's so many dynamics that go along with it. You know, you know, when we get mandatory, you know, we feel like shit and we really want to go home. And I, there's nothing that would upset me more when, is when a wife would get mad at her husband for being mandatory. And it, it's like, we, we don't, we don't have control over that. You know what I mean? You know, if somebody's doing, you know, we have our, our overtime whores that are never home with their families and, you know, and that's all about being needed. Really. That's like, you, you know, I mean, who's more important than, and, and I say this very cheekily or whatever, who's more important than a firefighter? Like you go be a firefighter and everybody loves you. And you, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you feel like you're, you're important. And I've heard so many people that I've talked to on my show and tell their stories that, you know, the, their whole life as a firefighter, that's who they were is I'm a firefighter and they identified I'm a firefighter and I have a family. And then once they go through all this PTS stuff and they retire, they say, I'm a dad who used to be a firefighter or I'm a, you know, I'm a husband and a dad who is a firefighter. And, you know, they, they realized, you know, where, I don't say where the money's at, but you know what I mean? Where, where they really are at and who really needs them and where they really belong. And um, they don't need to have that firefighter label, you know, to to be worthy or enough or, you know, validated. You were someone before you were a firefighter and you have to be somebody after you're a firefighter. Right. And, and during it's so important to, yes. You know, I remember a lot of, I used to get catch some shit because these guys would, we, you know, work 48 hour shift and these guys would go out together and spend the day together. And I was like, I've just spent 48 hours with you. I want to go home and see my family. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you know, I totally get, it'd be great to go out and do stuff, but with you guys, but it's like, man, I, you know what I mean? I need, I want to go home and be that other person that I am and be with those other people. And, and uh, so, yeah, so it's, just, it's really important. I think a lot of times to like, 
if there is a partner at home and the firefighter is saying they got mandatory, sometimes they didn't really get mandatory. They volunteered and they're not being honest. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably the worst thing is the deceit. Mm -hmm. You got mandatory. That's fine. But then I find out, Oh wait, there's no mandatory overtime today. Yeah. That's, Um, that's a whole nother, you know what I mean? That's a whole nother ball. That's a whole nother podcast. What the hell? I know. But it's That's also, shit. but it, but it also happens. It happens a lot. Right. And I hear about it, especially with, with my husband's agency. Um, and I don't know why, like we've never really dove into why, but it seems like that's a lot more where the resentment comes from, from my opinion, than it is that they're actually going to take overtime. Um, cause let's, let's not, let's not lie about it. Like we like the money, we like the paycheck that comes from the mandatory overtime, so, you know, I think that but, has to be balanced. That, that brings up a really good point too, is that, um, having to work sometimes is awesome. Like I don't have to go to this event that I have absolutely no desire to go to <laughs> because, <laughs> oh darn, I have to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so sometimes, you know, I, you know, people who, you know, have the spectacularly craptacular, uh, Thanksgivings and Christmases with their family. It's like. Oh, darn, I have to work. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't go, you know what I mean? And so sometimes it's, it's a blessing. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think people can, you know, use that as a, you know, way to get out of something and. Oh, um, don't get it twisted. The wives use it too. Okay. There's been plenty of times when I've been like, Oh, Damien has to work. And I, you know, I don't really want to drive that far by right. myself. <laughs> right. So, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. no, totally. <laughs> Definitely. I have to work, so I can't go with you. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh but yeah. Then is, but then that mandatory thing too is is like uh you know where do you feel like you're supposed to be, you know, or where do you feel you know, like you know, they always you always crap on the people you love more than you know the fire service. So it's like they're looking for somebody to work begging for somebody to work and you're like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll work and I'll do my duty and I'm going to be here for this department and here for whatever. And, and I'm needed here. And, you know, like today this engine wouldn't roll without me, you know what I mean? Where I'll be home tomorrow, my family, I'll see them tomorrow. And it's, it's such a thing of us needing to be needed. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have talked about this at all or, or heard it, but the statistics of first responders who had super shitty childhoods, is astronomical. Like the number of police, like something like 30% of all police officers were molested as kids, the males. And, um, and most, most of us had bad childhoods. Cause you know, we go into the fire, we, you know, we grew up in chaos. So we're really good at it. We can handle it. We were very self-sufficient when we were young, we took care of everybody. And so, you know, what else are we better at? And we were good at this job and, but, and, and we're in a place that we're needed, you know, like there's always a great feeling, like no matter what was going on at home or no matter what was going on in your life, you always had somewhere to go. You know what I mean? I had somewhere I was needed. And um, even if I hated the guys that I was working with or they hated me or, you know what I mean? Or whatever for that day, it was like, I'm still needed here. And I still, I have somewhere I belong and I fit in and, you know, all that other crap. And, and so that's part of it too. That's part of, you know, why guys take mandatory overtime or why they say they have, you know, they're mandatory, but they're really not. Um, I mean, there's also a whole other bunch of reasons, but, um, but that's one of them. Yeah. I hear that. 
And yes, we have, we have talked about that before on the podcast. Oh, good. Good, good, good. (laughs) Yeah. A couple of times. Um, so I think with all of that, I think we've had a fantastic conversation. Um, and I think it's going to benefit a lot of people. So I'm going to switch us into hot seat. Uh Oh, (laughs) yeah, no, it's all good. Yes. So if you're not familiar with what hot seat is, we ask rapid fire questions. You answer, um, with whatever comes to your head first and that's it. All right. The right or wrong answers. And we, We've had all kinds of people answer this, the, all of these questions very differently. So, all right. Yeah. I've not heard them. So yeah. Awesome. Right. Oh, good. So you didn't prepare. We've had people actually prepare for this. Oh, I have no, I have no idea what's coming. Okay, good. Yay. All right. That's the best. That's the best way. All right. First question. If you were stranded on an Island, what are three things that you'd take with you? Water. You're going to laugh. Hand lotion. Cause I hate dry hands. It drives me crazy. I haven't heard that one yeah. yet. <laughs> Maybe I know I, it's really lame and I'm always thirsty and I love water. Um, and probably a book. All right. So that leads me to my next question. What book would you take with you? Um, Circe. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's, uh, written by Madeline Miller. She's like a, professor at some college about you know greek mythology and history and everything and um it's a story about one of the gods named circe and well her dad was uh poseidon i think it was poseidon anyways her dad was one of the asshole gods and it's just it this it's beautifully written and the story is incredible and it's it's just really great book i read a lot i love to read Oh, good. We One, do too. So more time. Well, who was the author? So, uh, Madeline Miller. Miller. And then the book is called Circe. It's C-I-R-C-E. C. And then she also wrote another book called Song of Achilles. And uh, that book too is just unbelievable. Yeah, I think it would be Circe. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've actually seen this book cover. But both of them are just unbelievable. Okay. Like I said, I write on her Instagram page every day. Will you please write another book? Will you please write another book? <laughs> okay, I'm writing it down now because I always like to add another book to my. So oh, yeah, a lot. That one's the, your favorite, obviously. What did you read last? What did I read last? Oh man, what did I just finish? I'm reading a book right now. I can't even think of what did I just finish. I it was. I can't remember what I finished. I'm reading a book right now called um, The Beauty of Breaking uh, by Michelle Harper. She's an African-American emergency room doctor. And um, so I wrote a memoir about my career and going through the whole PTSD thing and everything, and it's going to be published. And so I read a lot of other memoirs, you know, just I don't know to learn from them and compare them. And uh, you have to come up with all these comparable books. And so I found this one and so I'm reading it and um, yeah, it's really good. She, you know, talks about the struggles of being in the emergency room. She talks about the struggle of being a, a woman doctor, a black doctor. And um, right before, right when she like visited, finished her internship and she was going to go into a residency, her husband like said, yeah, I'm done with you. I'm not going with you. So she kind of had to start a whole new life. And um, so anyway, so it, it's really beautifully written too. It's really, really really well written so that's what i'm reading right now and i for the life of me i can't think of the last book i read 
that's, I can't think of the last one I read either. So <laughs> I'm reading two right now. So that's like, Oh, nice. <laughs> and I'm listening to one on uh, audio. So nice. Um, all right. This question is really important to Audra. It matters. All eggs matter, but some eggs are different than others. And this one matters to Audra. All right. How do you like your eggs? Uh, either scrambled or sunny side up or not sunny side up, but over easy, like barely almost sunny side up. You just flip them over, turn the heat off. No, no runny eggs, Christy. Wait, no, what eggs? No burning eggs. I don't like runny eggs. Oh, I love runny eggs. <laughs> oh, I like so scrambled good. eggs. That was very, I like exciting. scrambled eggs, oh but I like gosh. them kind of wet. It's all um, right. I got your back. I like runny eggs. I know. I'm awesome. the anti-runny egg. I especially like eating runny eggs on top of hash browns. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Oh, you guys are gross. Oh my god. You know what the best the best runny egg is on top of a uh, tamale. <gasps> what? I've never put eggs on a tamale. Ooh. A tamale and you uh over easy or just like I said, barely. You're speaking uh, my love language right now. So put it on, put it on a tamale and some hot sauce and it's pretty much unbelievable. Okay. We'll be trying that. I still Audra have tamales left. Queen of tamale making. Oh, are you really? Four That's awesome. Yes. One, but I have seen them on Instagram. <laughs> There's a ton in the freezer still because they last for a couple months. So we freeze all the extras oh, from Christmas. Yum. Yeah. We'll be trying That's that. Oh yeah. Oh That's- my gosh. I love tamales. I think the best thing I've ever had an over easy egg on this is like, I know that this happens in New York a lot is actually a hamburger. Yeah. I've heard that. I've never done it, but it's my husband's favorite. Oh, really? Oh yeah. If you are ever in Danville, which I am, there's a, if you go to Danville brewing, uh, the money burger has a fried egg on top. My husband and one of my kids, their best burger ever they swear by it it's absolutely amazing i highly recommend it um so you wrote a book you wrote a memoir i did write a book i wrote a memoir and it's coming out when uh march or no i'm sorry uh june 20th of 2023 it takes a long time to publishing takes forever i don't have a title yet um because i all the ones i keep coming up with are are kind of lame, but yeah, it's going through the process right now. Like the book design's happening right now or the cover design. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm actually really excited about it. Cause I really like to write. Um, and you know, when I started going through PTSD, those calls that would haunt me, I, I just would, I don't know, be inspired to like just to write it. And, um, and then I just kept writing and writing. And I was like, man, I have a book here. Huh. So, um, so That's yeah, awesome. I'm excited. All right. We'll have to, um, I want you to keep us posted on it because I want to read it when it comes out. Um, All right, Christy, thank you for being with us today. For our listeners, if you want to learn more about Christy, you can find her on Instagram at FFDeconstructed. And you also have a website. Website is Mm firefighterdeconstructed.com. I'm on Facebook and everywhere else. All over. Yeah. And you can find all that on the website. Um, awesome. Yeah. Anybody wants to reach out and talk to me or questions or, you know, anything I'm just, that's kind of what I do now is, is, uh, help first responders. We thank you for helping because it's making a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. Thank you guys for what you're doing. That's, that's such a needed thing, such a needed thing. And I've had 
um, wives on my show and spouses on my show and kids on my show, you know, people who've gone through PTSD and pretty, it's pretty great to hear their stories too. Good. We'll have to listen. Awesome. So I'm kind of starting to feel like a broken record in saying this, but we must, if you have enjoyed the show today or any other episode that we have shared in the past, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite listening app, more specifically reviews on Apple podcasts help tremendously to find more listeners just like you and to book awesome guests just like Christy. All right. Thanks, Christy. We will catch you guys next time. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at DearChiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000-foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 